Welcome, welcome, welcome back to AG University Podcast. Today you are in for a treat. If you believe in miracles or if you don't believe in miracles, by the end of this episode, you will hear of many miracles that have taken place and it is such a cool episode. This was such a divine manifestation that I didn't even know I was manifesting, but I've mentioned this story a few times on the podcast that my friend Mimi tells me about the book, The Power of Eight. I read it. The book came out in 2018. wasn't even a new book. Actually, I put the book in my cart. I talked to you guys about it on the podcast. The day before the podcast even goes into production, so no one else besides me and producer Courtney had listened to the podcast. The author of the book, her team contacted me and was like, hey, Lynn would love to come on your podcast. And I was like, whoa, that is such a crazy synchronicity because I'm literally ordering her book right now to read it. So I know that this was meant to be, and I know there's a message here that's meant for you, no matter what area or leg or journey of your spiritual journey that you're on, there is a takeaway for everybody. And if you're new here, hi, my name is Anna Grace Newell. I'm a clairvoyant medium, intuitive guide, and Akashic Records practitioner, aka Angel Readings. And if you're curious as to how I got into this work, always, always, always start at episode number one. That really lays the foundation for all the work that we're doing here at AG University. And also, if you guys ever want to get a reading with me, a one-on-one you can join my newsletter. It's always linked in the show notes and linked in my bio at Anna Grace Newell on all platforms. And also right now, if you want to win a free reading, I'm giving one away to a fellow dancing unicorn who purchases my Blender Bombs times AG University Love Bomb collaboration. So that giveaway is posted on both of my accounts. There's a photo of me in like a red dress and you can enter to win a reading. So today we have Lynn McTaggart on the show, which is huge huge because she is an award-winning journalist, the author of seven books, including the worldwide international bestsellers, The Power of Eight, The Field, The Intention Experiment, and The Bond. And they're all considered seminal books of new science and now translated into over 30 languages. You guys, she's been consistently voted as one of the world's top 100 spiritual leaders for her groundbreaking work with consciousness and the power of intention. She is known for having just absolute in-depth research. Like, obviously, I believe in the Akashic Records and all this stuff all day long, but Lynn literally has proved so much scientific data about the field and this quantum world that we're living in. She's truly a metaphysical rock star. I was so honored that she wanted to come on our show. I was honestly blown away. So um, the book that I'm referencing that she's the author of is The Power of Eight, and now she is a worldwide speaker, motivator. She hosts workshops and retreats all over the world. Uh, If Lynn is speaking, you guys, she's getting a standing ovation. She's just an amazing person, someone that has helped so many people on the planet. And today we really talk about what makes someone truly happy, how to perform a miracle, and you have the ability to perform a miracle. And she shares all of that with us. The power of eight essentially is a concept where if you gather eight people together in a group and send one person an intention, something miraculous, a miraculous transformation takes place. And she does this over and over and over. She has thousands of people, so much data, all these, this team of scientists, you know, measuring everything. So it's like hard facts. And, you know, she started off as a bit of a skeptic being like, there's no way this could be happening. This is a miracle. Like 
I can't claim this. And then by the end of all of her studies and research, she was able to prove that these miraculous transformations, you know, people who were in a wheelchair could walk and just crazy things were happening. And so anyways, to have her on the show is a huge honor and obviously a divine placement in my life because such a beautiful synchronicity. And yeah, I'm just so excited. So if you guys are ready, let's go take some notes. And as always, share with a friend who needs to hear this message. Love you guys. See you on the other side. So I would just like to say, Lynn McTaggart, welcome to the show. I am thrilled to be here with you, Anna. Oh, this is such a treat for everybody listening. We're all so excited. I've I've hinted that you were coming on. So everybody's been on this journey with me and I just would love to hear a little bit about kind of where you started as maybe a skeptic or more of an investigator and how that's brought you into the work that you do, the beautiful, amazing, life-changing work that you do today. Just tell us your journey. Well, you know, it's the old line, Anna, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your future plans. Well, my future plans, when I was in my 20s, I started out my career as an investigative reporter. And my life plan was to put bad guys in jail. So my first big story, and in fact, my first big book was called The Baby Brokers. And I busted a whole bunch of international baby selling rings. And I did it with hidden tape recorders, posing as an unwed mother, and then an adoptive parent, and just going through these whole processes. And that was me. I, as I say, wanted to put bad guys in jail. And in my investigations and in the writing I did, and then once I moved over to the UK, which really resulted from doing another book uh, that brought me here, and I ended up staying, in that work, I started veering toward investigations of health and medicine. And in the course of studying what works and what doesn't work in medicine. Um, You look at a lot of scientific papers and we were doing this for a publication my husband and I started called What Doctors Don't Tell You. Still going strong, now a magazine in about 14 languages. But when we started, for the first few years, I kept coming across really good studies of spiritual healing. And I kept thinking, wait a minute, if you can have a thought and send it to someone else and make them better, that completely undermines everything we think about how the world works. So I set off to try to figure this out. I thought maybe there's something like human energy fields, something like that. And I figured if I talk to scientists working in consciousness research, they'll be able to explain it. So I did. I started talking to scientists at Princeton University and Penn State and other places like that. And I I thought it was going to be a very easy project. But what they described to me was experimental evidence they had found that together compounded into a completely new science, a completely new view of the world. And also because scientists like to stick with their experimental data. They don't want to speculate as to what this all means. They never do. And they also um, talk in code. They talk in math. So I 
realized with some alarm, to be honest, that this whole process of putting this all together was going to have to fall to me. And I was going to have to decode quantum physics, essentially. So I did, and that became my book, The Field, which was all about how we are all part of a quantum energy field. And it also talked about a lot of our extended human potential, our ability to see beyond our senses, to do intention, to, um, to pick up things, to forecast things, and also even to, to change some things that have happened in the past. So all of these studies were bringing out a very new view of the world. But again, that skeptical heart of me was saying, after all this stuff about intention, okay, so how far can we take this? You know, are we talking about tiny subtle effects or are we talking about curing cancer with our thoughts? And also what happens, this was a big thing of mine, what happens when you put people together and you have lots of people thinking the same thought at the same time? Does that magnify the effect? So that became my next book, The Intention Experiment. I figured let's test it. I know all of these scientists, who are working in this area. And I also have a lot of readers. By then the field was in 30 languages. So I figured if I put them all together, I'd have the biggest global laboratory in the world. So we've been doing this since 2007. Every so often I invite my, my readers from around the world to take part in some experiment set up by scientists in University of Arizona or University of California, Penn State, and European universities, et cetera. And we do the intention all at the same moment, all coming onto my website or another platform, and the scientists calculate the results. So we've done 41 to date. Everything from trying to make seeds grow faster, to purifying water, to lowering violence in war-torn areas, to healing people of PTSD. And of those 41, 37 have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant effects. So just to round out this little journey, I then, around 2008, wondered, well, what if I scaled this all down into a workshop? And I didn't know really what I was doing. I was kicking it around with my husband, Brian Hubbard, and my team. I said, I don't know, maybe I'll put people in groups of eight or so and have them send healing to a member of the group with a health challenge. And my husband is also a journalist and a great headline writer. And he turned to me and said, I love it, the power of eight. And that is literally how we started. I started putting people into groups in one um, it workshop in Chicago. I figured it was gonna be a mild little feel good effect, like getting your back rubbed. And we put them into groups. We had them do this to a member of the group with a health challenge. Next day they came back, again, I figured they're gonna tell me it's like getting a facial, nice and relaxing. That's not what happened. What happened was somebody stood up who had been limping badly through the workshop and was walking normally, a woman with terrible arthritis. Somebody else with very bad IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, was, said her gut was normal that day. Somebody else with depression said, it feels like it's cleared today. I feel really buoyant and uplifted. And somebody else said, I have cataracts and they're 80% better. 
So I completely freaked out about this, but I began testing it, experimenting with it, working with it. And I've now worked with thousands of people with power of eight groups around the world. And there definitely is something to this. And that's something I've spent all that time working out what exactly it is. Wow. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> I love it. So for those of you guys listening, because obviously I'm reading your book currently, and just to give maybe them a little bit of an explanation is, okay, so somebody comes into the workshop, will you tell them kind of the detailed breakdown of what it looks like, like how these sort of miraculous healings were happening, just so they can have kind of a visual in their head? Sure. They happen in an instant. I mean, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and um, I gave a talk. And as I do with keynotes, I put people in groups at the end of it. And there was a guy who came up after me, after the, I'd spoken and said, this is unbelievable. He has a spinal, he was born with a spinal problem. And doctors, it was very rare, and doctors gave him some drugs and procedures to try to heal it, and it ended up paralyzing him on his right side. That was nine years ago, and he'd been working on it ever since. He got back some movement, but his legs were, his right leg was still atrophied, couldn't move it very much, and he was showing me how it was moving normally. I videoed him saying that. Um, I've had Two people get up out of their wheelchairs, one with multiple sclerosis, somebody else with idiopathic, um, which is, we don't know what it is, uh, paralysis from the neck down. Um, there was a woman just recently in another workshop of mine who couldn't speak. Her vocal cords were paralyzed. And after that, one 10 minute intention, she got back her voice and so on and so on. I have seen thousands of healings. I've seen um, women, a woman with stage four cancer re reverse it afterward. Now she had some other treatments, not chemo, not radiation, some alternative treatments, but she believed the thing that turned it around from her was a very deep intention. Again, 10 minutes. Wow. So I've seen thousands of these kinds of healings. You wanted to know why, right? Why is this happening? Well, and also, you know, are these master meditators? Like give us some details on like the true process of, you know, this 10 minutes, what happens in the 10 minutes? Are these monks? Are they normal people? Like how does it work? They're normal people. Most of them are novices and the same things happen with them. I mean, that woman with stage four melanoma was the first time she'd done a power of eight group. Uh, that guy who healed his right side, that was the first time he did a power of eight group. Uh, people I see coming in with, I, I remember Sandy, could her knee was wobbly. It was so bad, her knee was so bad and she was due for surgery. And they did a 10 minute intention. And after that, she did a deep squat and so on and so on and so forth. Now, most people think that if you're going to do something amazing like this, it requires years of practice or hours of priming. And it's true. There are techniques to learn and I teach them. I mean, I, 
I teach what I call the 13 keys to intention mastery. And there are numerous things you have to do to really become um, a skilled intender. But you don't need to be a Buddhist monk or a master, a master healer. Pure novices can learn how to do this. And you also don't need hours of priming, you know, as, as you do with most other uh, spiritual modalities. You can do this and learn with reasonable skill without much, you know, without much time. But the main thing is it happens almost immediately. This is why I and I again, I've been studying this. It took me 10 years to to have the courage to publish that book, The Power of Eight, because we started doing this in 2008 and the book didn't come out until uh, 2018. And the reason was I needed to know why I kept thinking, wait a minute, I'm not a healer. What what's going on here? Why is this happening? And. So I, I started looking into it, and certainly there is the power of intention. There's no question that thoughts are things that affect other things. No question. I wrote a book called The Intention Experiment, which is all the science of intention, as well as that invitation to be part of our experiments. Um, there is a group effect. You know, when we get together in groups, there is an collective effervescence, as a French philosopher, uh, psychologist, Emile Durkheim said, there's altruism. That is a big piece here, a huge piece here. I started studying the science of altruism and altruism is like a bulletproof vest. People who do things for other people, and the science is really clear on this, live longer, healthier, happier lives. No question. Even if it's a minor thing you do or you volunteer for something, you're going to live longer, healthier, happier life. So with a power of eight group, seven eighths of the time, you're intending for someone else. So that is a big piece of it. There's also the whole permission thing. When you're in a group, it's almost like you make a vow to do things. There's enormous evidence about the power of the mind and its effect on the body. That is so clear. And we've used it with everything from hypnosis to biofeedback and so much more to mental rehearsal with athletes. But there's something else. And this is the big secret sauce. We did brainwave studies to try to figure out what on earth is going on here. So I worked with a team of neuroscientists a few years ago, and they were at Life University, which is the largest uh, chiropractic university in the world. They put their neuroscience team at my disposal, which was fabulous. Um, so we did a batch of studies on seven groups of student volunteers. So these were kids who hadn't even ever meditated. So they weren't masters of anything related to this work. We did that and we put an EEG cap, which measures brain waves on one member of each of the groups. And we discovered to our astonishment 
that the brainwave signatures looked nothing like those of meditation. We thought they were going to be just like meditation, where you've got an increase in the slightly slower brainwaves called alpha waves that are slower than those of ordinary waking consciousness. Nothing like that with our own brainwave signatures. <clears throat> what they did look like was those of Sufi masters um, during chanting and Buddhist monks during ecstatic prayer as measured by the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Andrew Newber. What was happening is brainwaves Brainwaves weren't increasing as they do with meditation, certain brainwaves. They were turning off, particularly the parts of the brain toward the back of the top of the head. They are the parietal lobes. They help us navigate through space. They tell us, this is me, this is not me. And they were dialed way down. So were parts of the brain, the right frontal lobes. They're involved with worry, doubt, negativity. They were also dialed way down. And as were other parts of the brain involved in making us feel separate. Mm. These were people, according to their brainwave signatures, who were in a state of ecstatic oneness. And that is the secret sauce. And the reason it is, is just this. We all say, we're all one, you know, and we, we talk about that all the time, but we don't experience life like that. We experience life as separate from the rest of the world. We experience life as lonely little people on a lonely planet in a lonely universe. But during a power of eight group, you actually experience the field. You know, many people have asked me over the years, how do I enter the field? And I say, you don't have to enter it. There's no doorway here. You're part of the field. Your subatomic particles are doing a little energy dance with all of the other subatomic particles in the world. You're there. You're there already. But we don't experience life that way. We experience life in separation. So here is, and my, my Power of Eight people say it all the time, I felt this overwhelming sense of oneness. I felt this extraordinary energy and heat. I felt like we were all one giant superorganism, and so much more. So we experienced that, and I think that oneness, I've concluded that although all of those other reasons are important, the oneness is probably the big thing that causes this kind of healing. Absolutely. And it's so interesting that you've brought this up because I always share with people that I had a few images when I experienced my sort of out of body. And the one thing that I always tell people was that I realized I saw like a grid over our entire planet. And I saw this beautiful grid and I realized we were all energetically connected by this grid. Like if something affected me, it affected someone else. If I was poisoning my own well, I was poisoning their well. Like I, it was probably one of the most profound visions I've ever had. And I really believe, and, and, you know, maybe that was just the visual that came to me. There's lots of different ways, but it was like seeing this kind of zoomed out perspective of the field. 
And so I think that's so interesting that that was really one of the first books that you wrote because that was exactly what I saw back when I had no idea. So I would love to hear, you know, a little bit of scientific data or your perspective about what you learned about the field or how we all are energetically connected. Okay. Well, I started my book with a scientist called Dr. Hal Putoff. And Hal Putoff began researching this back in the 1970s. He's an astrophysicist. Um, he works in Austin, Texas. He's worked for British Aero Aerospace and NASA, among other places. And back in the 70s, he was talking to a benefactor who was funding some of his research, who was very irritated because um, that was the time where there was uh, an energy shortage and there was a shortage of gas. The, um, the Middle East had upped its oil prices. And so there were all kinds of shortages of, of gas and, and you know cars couldn't get filled, etc. So Putoff started thinking about one area of quantum physics that has been overlooked. And that is just this. At the subatomic level, like I said before, there's a little subatomic game of tennis going on. All subatomic particles, and we call them particles, they're not really particles, they're vibrating packets of energy. And they're trading energy back and forth with other subatomic particles in this little en endless game of tennis. So the energy exchange between those two subatomic particles isn't is tiny. It's a half a watt's worth of energy. But when you start compounding this to all those tennis games played by all the subatomic particles in all the things in all the universe, including yourself, you have an unfathomable amount of energy in empty space. That occurs because that little game of tennis creates a virtual particle there for just an instant. And that creates this giant field. Now, it is so energy dense that if you were sitting a yard away from me, a meter away from me for those people in Europe, the energy density between us would be enough to boil all the oceans of the world. That's how powerful it is. So there is that thing in empty space that we are all part of, that matrix. But here's a couple of really important aspects of it. Subatomic particles are also waves. And waves, when they bump into each other, store information. And waves have an infinite, near infinite capacity to store information. So <clears throat> consider the Library of Congress, which has every English book in the world in there. You could take the whole of the Library of Congress, and if you put it into a subatomic wave, it would fit onto something the size of a sugar cube. That's how much information subatomic particles have. Also, wow. they go on to infinity. So when you think of we're all part of this giant energy quantum field, there's two big implications. One, we can access all information there. All information essentially is contained in the field. And 
because we these things go on to infinity, it's a wonderful, neat mechanism to understand how we can pick up information beyond our senses or affect things beyond ourselves. So that field was a very important basis for all of the other work that I've done with the power of intention. Wow. And that's really how I always describe, you know, the Akashic records. I always tell people it's like if you were to, you know, back your phone up to the cloud, you know, your iPhone in the cloud, it's like this cloud, this portal, this library of infinite information that we can access and anybody can access it. You know, we all have this Akashic record. I'm not sure if you're as familiar with Akashic records, but it's literally the same thing that you're explaining. It's just this so like infinite amount of information that we can access. I love that, that it, the entire Congress library would fit into a sugar cube. It's like, it's crazy. <laughs> I know. And you know, I'm very familiar with the Akashic field. Irvin Laszlo wrote about it. Uh, and he's a, he's a good friend of mine. And it is really the ancient version of this quantum field. And as I say, it's not something that is mysterious. Quantum physicists have known about the field since the early 1920s. But here's the problem with it. When scientists, remember, they talk in math. When they try to work with quantum physics, the zero-point field messes up their equations. Um, it just it doesn't make them tidally fit. So they have to subtract it out. That's called normalization in science. And to me, the field is the whole point here. It's a bit, a little bit like subtracting out God. Right. Well, it's, it's like, how could you quantify something that, honestly, I don't know if we're supposed to quantify, you know, like, could we even quantify this, this field or this Akashic information? even though we all know it exists, but I think, I think you said it so well in your book. There's just times where people, scientists are like, Ooh, we just want to dance around this because we don't know exactly how to make it make sense, but we know it's there. <laughs> so yes, I love absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, there, there is a lot that is known by science. Um, but the problem with science is it's a story. You know, and scientists proceed as though the story has largely been written. But we all have to recognize that new chapters come along all the time that replace the ones that have come before. And all of the work that I wrote about in the field and all of my books in this area is demonstrating that we are in the midst of writing a completely new story that admits that we are far grander we have greater, far greater potential than we're told. You know, we're given a very mechanistic view of our bodies, our minds, and the world. The world is machine, but the new science shows something much, much more dynamic, that we can affect things outside of ourselves, that we can see beyond our senses, that we can forecast, that we can travel back and forth, back and forth in time. They even show there is no such thing as time. There is no such thing as space, according to quantum physics. We're here in one great big smeared out now and one great big smeared out here. 
The only thing that exists is the present moment. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. I have so many questions and so many things that I want to ask you, but I know we, we only have a limited amount of time. But I think for anyone that's listening, because I've been sharing your work, I've been super intrigued by it. And maybe they have a loved one in their life or their family who has an ailment. And they're like, you know what? I listened to this podcast. Anna Grayson Lynn told me about this. What are some things that for somebody who's a novice, what's something that they could try or somewhere they could begin on this healing journey? Just so that I know you host beautiful retreats, but you know, for someone who maybe can't make one, what's some advice you would give them? Sure. Lots of advice. Number one, on my website, lynnmctaggart.com, I have free, some free tools. So as soon as somebody joins uh, my website, they get free tools about how to set up a power of eight group and some rudimentary ideas about how to do intention for me, a little recording, etc. I also have free tools uh, in a section called the eight revolution for people who want to use intention for their community. Mm. But just to start, here's what I would suggest. Number one, get yourself a power of eight group. If you don't have eight friends who want to do this or family members, it doesn't have to be in person. You can do the whole thing virtually. And so again, on on my website, lynnmctaggart.com, you could just come into the community, join the community and put up a little sign. It's a bit like being on Facebook there and just say, hey, I'm in this time zone. Anybody else want to join me in a power of eight group? So there are things to do right away that people can do. If they want to study with me, I have all kinds of levels of courses um, from intention essentials, the very basics, to professionals, how to use, become a better healer with the power of eight, because most healers um, are really good at what they do, but they're sometimes less good at their languaging and their intention for their patients, their thoughts about their patient. And some scientific evidence shows there's a 61% difference between people who are positive and think positively with their patients and people who are more pessimistic. And I've got my big year-long masterclass. So when people really want to study with me, I put I do a live and interactive six, uh, 12 week, uh, 12 hour session. So it's six weeks of two hour sessions each, then we put you in groups and we monitor you and work with you and coach you for a whole year. And so what I find, and here's, here's two pieces of advice for people just starting out. Number one, show up. The people in my masterclass, the people who continue to meet week after week after week, those are the people who experience miraculous transformations and not just in their health. They, we have people who find love. I had a woman called Joy who hadn't been in a relationship for a really long time. And her group, this was during lockdown too. She said, I want to open my heart to more love in my life. So her group did intention for her. And literally the next week, She got a call from a boyfriend of hers from 35 years ago, 35 years ago. And she's in Australia. He is in the UK, in the United Kingdom. 
he calls her and they he, they start communicating, they start texting and writing and calling. And the upshot is he goes to Australia, lives through the, you know, does the two week quarantine, moves in with her and they're in love and together now. And so we see that, we see people get amazing windfalls, start new careers. We've had people where new jobs have come out of nowhere, healed relationships. That's a big one too. Healed relationships with parents, with, um, with partners, with children. And that is one thing that I try to work on too, is to show it's not just for healing the body, it's for healing your life. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing, get yourself a power break group and show up every week. The second one, is if I were going to give one piece of advice, it is be specific. You know, most people think they send out a, a general intention, like I want to be rich. When they don't really mean they want to be rich, what they mean is I hate my job and I don't want this job. I want something else. And they think just getting lots of money will stop me from having to go to this job every day. Or they need a very specific amount. Um, they may also mean, I really just want more free time to be with my children or grandchildren or to pursue a hobby. And so I always tell people, tell the universe exactly what you want and ignore that urban myth that says, oh, you can't mention cancer if you have cancer um, because more of it will show up. That's not true if you frame it correctly. If you say my intention or our intention, if it's a power bait group, our intention is for Jane Doe to be immediately, completely and permanently free of all traces of melanoma. And mm. if you want to mention even where it is, that's just, that's great too. But being as specific as that is the most important thing. Ooh, that's so good to mention because I do feel some people get nervous that they're going to, you know, manifest more bad things into their life. Um, so I think that's such a great example because it almost puts people in this like fear headspace of like, you don't want to say it, you know, incorrectly, but I think that, so you're saying your approach is just being extremely clear and concise with the intention and not being afraid of, you know, saying what, what you really want, what you want to heal, what you want to clear. Absolutely. And the more, the more specific you are, the better. And we tested this in my intention experiments. A few times we did very general intentions like sending love to water and nothing changed. When we did an intention to increase the pH by at least one pH, the water increased by at least one pH. So don't be afraid to be specific. Um, and a lot of people say, oh, if I'm specific, um, then I'll limit what happens. No, you don't. You're giving the universe an idea, a very clear idea of what you want. And I find the universe responds with oftentimes much, much more. For instance, with one of our intention experiments, we were sending intention to lower violence in the most violent place in America, which is St. Louis, Missouri. And we had chosen the most violent uh, section of St. Louis, Missouri, which was fairground. 
Now, our intention was to lower violence by 10% or more. Actually, what, what happened is it went down by 43% compared to all the other areas around it. We, we were able to, with the help of a professor of statistics, look at all the data from three years before to six months after our intention. So it was very clear that what had happened was, was definitely the case. But I, I always see that people doing intentions where it's specific either achieve their goal in so many instances or exceed it. So by naming something, you don't limit it. Wow. So that's so interesting because I really feel it's a very empowering message for anybody listening that, you know, every person matters and every person really can make a difference. I think a lot of times we think when these horrible things are going on in the world, it's like, oh, well, what could I do? I'm just little old me, you know? And you're like, no, these a, a power of eight group, it is eight people, you know, meditating have the power to completely change someone's life or lower the violence rate. I mean, that is just really fascinating that you've been able to prove it statistically. It's like you can't argue with the evidence that it's working. And I believe it, but I love I love to give people who maybe aren't as familiar with this work the hard facts. Well, that's what I always wanted to do is I wanted to provide people with proof. And all of my books have loads of proof in them because I felt, you know, Western mind needs proof. But here's something else that will completely blow your mind, Anna, which is what okay. we haven't talked about, is the mirror effect. What happens yes. to the senders? Now, this was the most extraordinary of all. So remember from 2008, I was tired of leaves and seeds and all that kind of stuff where we were doing what we were doing with the intention experiment in the beginning. The scientists told me, let's take baby steps. So we did. Then I said, let's do something huge. Let's lower violence in some war-torn area. So we did. We did our first intention with Sri Lanka. And we had some a really interesting response. It was an intractable 25-year war where the rebels had taken over the whole north of the country and nobody was getting anywhere. We did intention for 10 minutes over eight days, every day for eight days, 10 minutes only, uh, me and my, my global audience. And what happened was violence quadrupled in that time. I was really worried. I thought, oh God, did we do that? But then it plummeted, but even more, something more interesting happened. The, that very week, the government won a number of decisive battles that completely turned around the course of the war. And within a few months, and this is 25 years intractable war, the government was able to take back the North, which had been held by the rebels. And then a few months after that, that 25 year war was over. Now, did we do this? Short answer, who knows? But what was really interesting was I decided to survey the participants just to find out were they able to get on my website, were they able to do it? And I got back thousands of responses of people who had experienced great change in their own lives. Their lives had become more peaceful. They were getting along better with partners or estranged parents or estranged children or bosses who weren't very nice or coworkers. But about a half, 50% said 
I'm more in love with everyone I come in contact with. Then they also said they had big, big healings. So people about 30 to 40% said, my life is more peaceful. I'm getting along better with people. And half said, I'm more in love with everyone I'm coming in contact with. They're, they're hugging strangers, basically. Then about a third said, um, I have X condition and it's so much better, or it's been healed. So that was mind boggling to me, this mirror effect. I started realizing there's a mirror effect. And ev with every piece intention I've done ever since, including three we've done most recently for Israel, Israel and Gaza, there is this extraordinary rebound effect. And most significantly, people feeling more love for everybody they come in contact with. I saw this with an experiment I did with um, Arabs in eight different Arab cities who took part in this with the ninth uh, camera. We put cameras in nine different conference rooms. The, tenth uh, the ninth camera we put in an audience of Israeli Jews. So we had Arabs and Israelis all doing it together. And I was using special equipment in a platform where I could talk to them, they could talk to me, they could talk to each other. It was very cool. And in the beginning, I had to broker the whole thing. The Arabs weren't talking to the Israelis. The Israelis weren't talking to the Arabs. But afterward, when I called on them to say, how was that for you? We were doing an intention to lower violence in Jerusalem. They started sending love to each other. They started saying, your God is my God. The heart was leaping across the fence. Everybody was crying. Everybody was sending love. It was extraordinary. And it happens in power of eight groups too. I find people heal whether they are the sender or the receiver. Mm. I had one guy, I don't know if we have time for this last story of Wes, yeah, who was, um, he had a really tragic life. He uh, was going to be a doctor or a biochemist. He went to college, he went to university and the last year, he got drafted at the end of the Vietnam War where you couldn't get student deferments. So he had to go fight. And it was so traumatic for him that he came home deeply depressed, dropped out of university, and his life continued on a real downward spiral. He met the love of his life, but their marriage didn't last long because she got a fast-growing cancer. And not only did she die, but he lost his house having to pay for the extraordinary bills, medical oh bills. Goodness. So by the time I met him, he was 65 and basically having a hard time even getting out of bed. It was a, a big, what's the use? Mm -hmm. So I had put together a sample power of eight group at a particular new, uh, new, new thought church. So he had volunteered to be one of them. He was going to put himself forward because he suffered from, you know, ongoing depression. But there was a woman in the group with cancer. So he felt she was more deserving. So he was just a sender. As I he told me afterward, that next day he went to bed and the next morning he woke up and it was like all his senses had been heightened. You know, the mm -hmm. grass had never looked greener, the flowers never felt uh 
never smelled sweeter. And he also was walking around saying hi to people. And he got into the habit of ignoring people and not talking to them, not wanting to interact. But then the next night, he goes to sleep and he has what he called a vision. It was like a lucid dream. Mm -hmm. He was back on his college campus and he met his 19-year-old self who somehow communicated to him, there's still time. Mm -hmm. And he woke up and it was like Scrooge on Christmas morning. He was running around saying hello to everybody and he became a changed person. He got re-engaged with the world. He started exercising. He started, you know, lifting weights again and power walking. He joined courses. He became active in his church. He, um, he started writing again. He was transformed with one power rate session when he was only the sender. And that is the power of that altruism and oneness in action. Oh, beautiful. Lynn, I just, I cannot thank you enough for sharing all this information because, you know, I always tell people whenever, so I teach people how to access the Akashic Records as well. And um, about let's see, a little over a year ago, I channeled my own prayer to access the records. And one of the lines in the prayer is that I heal in every connection that I make. So anytime you access someone else's records and that you're helping them with their soul's purpose, it's actually assisting me in my soul's purpose as well. So it's really such a beautiful interaction. I love how you, you know, gave us that example of the mirror work. It's like when we help other people, because we are all one connected to this grid, we're helping them that in turn, of course, is going to have a positive effect on your life. You know, I always tell people, if you're stuck in a dark place and you can't even see straight in your own world, go do something nice for someone else. It's it's the fastest way to get yourself out of this very, you know, one-sided world that we're living in in our mind, right? And we're like, there's this whole world out there that is waiting for us to live and enjoy. And if we can just help one person we in turn are helping ourselves. So that's so cool that even the senders have all this proof of miraculous transformations in their life. I mean, that is just, that is amazing. I know. And, you know, people think, oh, altruism is a nice thing to do. It's not. It's a necessary thing to do. We live longer, happier lives when we, and healthier lives when we help other people. Uh, there was even a study that compared people who were living completely for themselves, pleasure seekers, you know, with all the money in the world, lots of holidays, et cetera, and, met, and, and comparing them to people who were living a life of service. The people who were the pleasure seekers had terrible immune system markers. These were people who were going to be dropping like flies from heart attacks, strokes, Alzheimer's, you name it. Whereas the people, living a life of service had the most robust immune systems. These people were going to live forever. But think about it too. When I look at the intention experiment, for instance, my latest ones, Israel and Gaza, 30,000 people took part. Now, there's a lot of Harvard research showing that emotions go down a social network so that if we're happy, we're more likely to have happy friends. 
not because we self-select happy people to be with, but because of the natural spread of happiness. But it's also the case when we do something kind for someone, it goes about three degrees down a social network. So if you're kind to Jim, he's more likely to be kind to Jane, who's more likely to be kind to Alice, who's more likely to be kind to Bob. And so it continues to go out in this giant ripple effect. With Think about, think about my 30,000. Half said they feel more love for everybody they come in contact with and they feel changed. If those people in their lives also feel that too, and they start feeling more love, and it's, it's a social network ripple effect. The latest estimate is we all know about 600 people. So if all half of those 30,000, half of those affect their 6,600 people, you know how many that ends up being that are affected? About a billion people. Hmm. So that's the effect that the ripple effect of doing things for other people and what can happen. So when we look to our leaders to try to heal things, I always say, no, you just need a power of eight group and it's a fast track to the miraculous. Gosh, it's, I'm, I'm feeling so inspired just walking away from this conversation today. I'm like ready to take on the world because I do, I do have, I have one final question. And I'm curious what the significance is with the eight. I know you kind of said it just maybe came to you or your husband. Is that what you said? It was someone brought eight into your reality. But that is my my concluding question is what's the significance with the eight? What does it mean to you? Well, eight is a Goldilocks figure. It did come to me. I said, oh, maybe I'll put people in groups of eight or so. Yeah. But I wasn't thinking, oh, it's got to be eight. It was just off the top of my head. And maybe the universe was giving me the eight. We have a lot of attachment to eight. Eight is a lucky number in Chinese. It Mm -hmm. is the sideways symbol of uh, infinity. And there's lots of sacred geometry around eight. But in my experience, a group doesn't have to be eight. It works with seven. It works with nine. But eight is a beautiful Goldilocks figure. It's okay. not too, it's not too little and it's not too big. Once you get to 12 or more, it becomes a little unwieldy. You have to wait a long time till it's your turn. But eight is, is kind of a perfect number. So that's it. That's it. Keep it simple. I like it, you know, and I think that even just having this conversation, I've had a lot of realizations about myself because, you know, I love the Chinese um, numerology descriptions and I'm a nine, which is I'm a humanitarian, you know, I'm super called to service. I am here on mission. I know what my mission is. I've got, I've got the assignment and I'm, I am, I really am one of the happiest people that I know. And my fiance as well, like we're very mission driven. We're also very happy. And I think people ask me a lot, you know, how do you stay in such a good mood? And now I'm going to, I'm going to tell them this, this is really, you know, I think that it is one of the biggest reasons that I feel so excited to wake up every day and jump up out of bed. And I feel great because I know that I can help even one person. And that makes a difference. It does. We've been, we're born to be part of belonging and community. We're born to do things and connect with each other. My book, The Bond, was all about 
was Darwin right? You know, were we meant to be so individually competitive? And the huge answer with all the science is absolutely not. We were born to connect and that is the numero uno thing that we need to do. And that connection is about service too. Absolutely. I believe that to my core. And I mentioned before we got on the call that I'm headed to do my first retreat in Costa Rica, uh, February 29th. So in a little under two weeks. And this is uh, definitely, I'm going to be playing with some of your concepts in this book. I'm going to circle up my girls. I think we have the perfect number for two groups of eight. <laughs> and so I want to, you know, open their minds to play in this space. So Lynn, you're going to be with us in spirit on our first AG University retreat. Oh, that's really great. That's really great. And I will, I'm thrilled to hear that. And by the way, um, for anybody who's interested in studying with me, I should say we are kicking off our year-long Power of Eight Intention Masterclass. It kicks off on February 17th, but if you hear this right after, you can everything is recorded, you can still join and get put in a Power of Eight group and work with me for a whole year. Wow, that would be an incredible opportunity. And also, Len, just thank you for all of the work that you do in our world. I mean, you really are someone that has made a huge difference, a huge positive impact. And I know you're helping so many people that we can't even imagine. So I just want to say thank you for your work and your service and your brilliance and all that you contribute to this universe. I don't know where we would be without you. We need more lens. And um, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on the show and sharing your expertise and your wisdom. And if there's anything else you want to leave AG University with, and of course, all the ways they can find you, please let us know. Thank you so much. Well, all I want to do is say for people, please check out my website, lynnmctaggart.com. Check out our masterclass, which is on the front page. It'll lead you to information about it. Loads of other courses we're teaching too. So have a look and see what appeals. Loads of free things too. Um, on the website, as I said earlier, my intention experiments are always free. And as I say, half the people who get involved with intention experiments experience extraordinary healing and change in their lives too. So check out all of that on lynnmctaggart.com. Absolutely. And I will link everything in the show notes as well. So you guys can easily access her information. And Lynn, thank you. It's just so I feel honored that I get to know you and just thank you so much. And I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you. It's been great being here with you, Anna. As always, I just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you feel so called or if it feels aligned, I would love for you to leave me a review here. I always love reading your beautiful thoughts and messages. And also you can find me at Anna Grace Newell on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And I will link all of my courses, AG University course curriculum in the show notes, along with if you're interested in booking an Akashic Records reading with me, my scheduling link goes out in my newsletter. It goes out once a month and it's completely free. I would love to have you there. As always, I'm a proud professor and you get an A plus for making it all the way through the end. Love you.